0: Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay, from The Movie Proposal Podcast, and with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh. Hi, Christian. Nice to see you. Thank you. You are in somewhere that is not your office or your home. Where are you?
1: I am in a lovely Airbnb in wonderful Dubuque, Iowa.
0: Dubuque all right well we want to hear more about that and with us who's might be super quiet is trusty dusty research extraordinaire button pushing guy can't get his mic to work Jason Rugg hey there I'm here (laughs) I'm just way far away I don't know if this is being fixed in post or not but as we are recording live we can barely hear Jason so and I have no idea why (laughs) thank you technology
1: I love it. How we just come out with our dirty laundry right out of the gate. You know, there's no pretense here. It's like, you know, this is who we are. So <laughs>
2: I'll try not to say anything super
0: important just in That's case. Right. <laughs> hey, Hey, what'd you say? I can't hear you. All right. So Christian, you are in Dubuque, Iowa. Why? Because you love visiting Dubuque, Iowa. Is something going on there? What's, what's happening?
1: Well, I'll tell you something. I now do love visiting Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, I have never been here before and had no reason to come. But thankfully, we were accepted to the Julian Dubuque International Film Festival, uh, lovingly referred to as J. Diff, and I am just thrilled. I'm so thankful to be here. It's only three hours west of my home. And my very first screening was in Galena, Illinois, and I had never been there either. But everybody in the Chicago area kept talking about Galena. We're going to Galena or let's go to Galena or I haven't been to Galena in a while. Let's go. And I've always heard about it, but I've never gone. And so when I drove through that little town, it is adorable as well. And there's just lots of lovely shopping and wonderful restaurants and cute places to stay. And our screening went really well. That was last week. And we screened in the um, DeSoto house, which is a lovely hotel and has several restaurants there. So we screened in the DeSoto house to a small audience of about, um, I think there were about 20 people there. Um, but it was so precious. I mean, there were just wonderful questions at the end. Everybody was very touched. And it was really taken to a, a next level situation when there was a veteran in the room who was very overcome and kept trying to share uh, what he thought about when he saw the film and what he um you know and he wanted to share about some things that he remembered or some of his story and um he was just very emotional and everyone in the room was emotional it was just a very powerful moment and that's what i love about our film is that um when service members see it uh, it just takes them to this soft open place and they're able to share and talk about Um, what, you know, happened during their years of service. And it it invites more conversation from people that have never served. And that really is the whole point of my film. Um, It's to create more of a conversation between the veterans and the civilians so that we can better appreciate them. So that was last Saturday. And then I drove to Dubuque, and I'm staying in the Hotel Julian, which I highly recommend. It is a beautiful old hotel with with everything. It has lovely um, a lovely restaurant, and I really enjoyed the hot tub and the pool. They have a lovely spa. I've had you know massages, and it's just been like heaven. Um, the town is so cute. One of the highlights is there is an elevator uh, in this town. That takes you from the street level to like a hilltop level. And what's it's just got wonderful history that there's fleur-de-lis everywhere all over the town because Julian Dubuque, a Frenchman, settled this town. And so it sort of has this French flair, which makes me feel right at home. And there was a banker um, in the early days, in the 1800s, when this town was being founded. And he would have to ride his horse and buggy all the way up to his house at the top of the hill. And that would take half an hour. And then he would have lunch. And then he would have to go a half an hour back down to his office but it didn't leave him time for a nap. And he was very frustrated with that situation. So he decided to install like a cable car that would go from the bottom of the hill to the top. And so he did and, you know, he would use it every day, but then all the neighbors that lived at the top of the house, you know, the hill found it very convenient as well. And so more people in the public began using it and it did I think burned three times uh, it burned down, but then they eventually replaced everything and it's not burned, I think since the seventies. And so it's $4 round trip to ride up the hill and then ride back down. And when you get up to the top of the hill, it reminds me a little bit of Florence, Italy oddly enough, because um, you just see this beautiful town by the Mississippi River, very picturesque. And, you know, there's like a city hall with a gold dome. And I just I just have loved the town and the festival. Is so well positioned. I'm just really blown away by how they've used their venues, Uh, and I think it's just a perfect festival setup. Um, You know, their festival headquarters is in the Julian Dubuque Hotel, or the Hotel Julian, and they have a filmmaker lounge in the hotel. So you check in the. You know the lounge is right next door, uh, the box office is in the hotel. There are screening rooms in the hotel, but then down the street there's another hotel, the Holiday Inn, where there are screenings there, and there you know the overflow of the filmmakers or guests can stay. And across the street from the Holiday Inn is the Five Flags Center, and the Five Flags Center is connected to the Five Flags Theater, which is a big, you know, um, majestic old type theater stage. Um, And inside that, they have other smaller ones like the, you know, I think they have the Orpheum and the Bijou, you know, all these throwback names. It's super cool. And they have a long hall underneath those theaters where they host filmmaker welcome events and international parties for international films. Uh, The Cave is debuting for that. Um, And they have a Canadian film international night. So, um, it's been really remarkable. This is the first film festival that has been the most like a pre-COVID festival in my mind. Um, they, they really are being COVID careful. So everybody does have to check in every day and you have to get a little, uh, here's my little badge I'm showing. See, you have little dots every day when you pass the health check. And that way you just get checked once and then you can go to all the venues. So they just have all that worked out. Uh, Nurses are checking people in. So they're, you know, they've got people there if there are any problems. And uh, it's right across the river from the Mississippi River uh, Aquarium. And they've used that for their ocean and sea films, which is just so creative Um, And then our film is playing at the Phoenix theaters, which is only about eight minutes away, but it's a regular movie theater that has four theaters in it. And, um, you know, several films are playing there. Uh, The festival is headed up by Susan Gorell, who I really would like to have on the podcast sometime. She is a filmmaker herself. Uh, and has now been heading up this film festival, I think, for about 15 years, if I'm not wrong. I think, um, but it's a family affair. Her mother and father are both in the business, and so they help her. Her brother is also helping out. So it feels like this very small town, warm festival. They have. I, we are nominated for the feature documentary award, and for the nominees. They pay for your hotel. They pay for your travel. And all filmmakers get breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the festival. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, it really is just remarkable. And they have so many sponsors from all over the town and volunteers. It's just made my head swim.
2: Can you, know, can earlier, you live there year-round? Or
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'd love, to li- I'd love this situation year-round. It'd be awesome. <laughs>
0: when you were talking about you know the audience and the engagement and the veteran who was sharing his story, one thing I have to imagine for filmmakers that would be beneficial from film festivals is, is the immediate feedback, you know, and you've done live theater, I've done live theater. And one of the fun things about that is, you know, immediate feedback where a film, if you just send it out and maybe you hear back from people and, but you're not there, you know, you don't really experience people experiencing it. So I think, you know, being in the audience, hearing the people laugh, hearing the people cheer, whatever, and then the discussions afterward must be extraordinarily beneficial to the filmmaker.
1: Well, I've heard that from just about every filmmaker, because most of them have been in previous film festivals, but they have been virtual, and they are just over the moon with not only hearing people's reaction during their film, but being able to answer questions at the end. It's just... I mean, in a sense, this is why you make a film. You rarely get this experience unless you have a theatrical release. And most people don't get a theatrical release in the independent film world. So the only way that you really get, you know, immediate feedback from your work is the film festival situation. And I just got to say, it, it makes me want to always, you know, I remember when I was first thinking about this, going back and forth between, do I submit to film festivals or just start seeking distribution? And I almost didn't do the film festival thing because it is expensive. You know, I've said before, we've spent um, somewhere between seven and $8,000 submitting to film festivals, going to them sending DCPs and stuff out for them. So, you know, it is a cost that does need to be considered, but uh, the reward is far greater, I think than just getting, you know, people, I don't know, distribution from the film festivals. That may sound weird, but when you get distribution, you really don't have that experience of listening to watching your film with other people. And, you know, we had a screening on Wednesday. That was our first one in the Phoenix Theater. It was sold out. And the best for me was hearing, oh, hmm, <laughs> huh, you know? And then, because it's just, Josh, you're right. In theater, I remember doing theater and I could feel when I had the audience like right here, you know, in my hand. And I could feel that energy. And, I knew that they were engaged and that is the exact feeling I got yesterday. It's just like I had them and I knew it and they afterwards, I mean, I think I I would be stunned if we got anything but fives because the checker said, well, you know, you sure got a nice review, you know? So I was very encouraged that we, um, they ask you at the end, you know, how do you rate the film one to five? And so it sounds like we got a lot of fives. So you're right. That was a highlight.
0: So, uh you're there now. How long are you there for? So
1: I start I mean, I'll be here eight days. How many days have you been? It,
0: it sounds like you've are done what what more is there to do <laughs>
1: <laughs> So so today is Friday when we're recording friday um april twenty third and I started out on this journey like uh, I think it was I don't know. April, I don't even remember. Was I here the 18th? I think maybe. And I think that we
2: had to record early last week because you were leaving. Like that's how long you've been there.
1: Yeah, think, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, and we're recording late this week, yeah. you know. So it's it's really been a big part of my life and I'm only here that long because we had a screening. They're all kind of spread out, so we had one Saturday. We had one Wednesday, but the bulk of like the highlight of our trip here is Saturday and Sunday. So this festival usually is a four day festival. This year it's an eight day festival because they I mean, this is what's so amazing about this family. Susan wanted to honor the filmmakers of 2020. So they gave, you know, acceptances for the film festivals for 2020 um, because they had to do it before the pandemic. But then the pandemic hit and they canceled it. So she brought all the 2020 selections and the 2021 selections here this year. And um, so that was just incredibly thoughtful. Um, So, uh, you know. I am glad that I've been here this long because it gave me the opportunity to to get to know some early filmmakers and the people of the festival, because most people aren't arriving until yesterday or today. Um, And I've been able to explore the town and do a few, um, you know, touristy things, which has been lovely. So, uh, and I probably wouldn't have been able to do that if they weren't covering all of my hotel and food.
0: Can you, um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, you do a great job marketing and branding, you know, t-shirts and, uh, reenactments and so forth. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of this film festival now that you have more in-person people there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've never had so much feedback about that. Um, other than this festival, I mean, I've actually had several people come up to me and say, oh my gosh, your branding is fantastic. Uh, I love all of your swag. I'm going to have to do that for my movie next time. Um, And I think, I think what, if if there's any filmmakers listening to this, and I hope that there are, what I'd love for you to take about this, you know, take away from this podcast is really the importance of, of branding your film. And think about it longer term than just, you know, getting your poster out there. When you're first, you know, coming up with your film, you know, you have to design a film poster and maybe you have to design some, you know, postcards. Um, But a lot of people don't think beyond that. Um, I was fortunate enough to have some excellent graphic uh, designers, uh, the last of whom um, was Emily Mixter. And now we have Rose Beasley and Will uh, Shadler. I think that's Shadler. Um, sorry, well, And um, so they are so good at branding our shirts, at branding any of our laurels. Uh, and so it's very distinctive. And when I've been here, I wanted to make sure that people came to our film. So what I did was... Think about what could I do that would create a splash, and so for our film, it was really easy. Um, I did tell a couple of friends of mine that are reenactors in Iowa that this was happening, and asked if they wanted to come and put together a reenactment camp, which they were thrilled to do. And so we um, have a reenactment encampment set up in Dubuque in Washington Park all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And I did this early on, right after we found out we were selected so that the town and the festival could begin planning around this. And they were just so excited about that because it gave an event for people to come to. So uh, they reported on it in the newspapers and the radios, um, you know, stations. They talked about it in their Rotary Clubs. And there was a lot of work involved. You know, we had to get permits. And, but there was a festival representative, a volunteer, who helped work on all the permits for us. Um, but everybody that's shown up, I mean, it's been in the festival. The festival has an app, which is a phenomenal app. Um, and it's listed in the app as one of the events. It's listed on, you know, Facebook. It's listed in your festival book. So because of that, a lot of people know about our film. And have heard about it. So um, when I went to Sundance, there were similar things. People tried to think outside the box of what they could do for their films. And one of the easy things they do is they will have hired people, marketing people. Like McMillions was the one that really stood out to me when I was there in 2019. Because they had like the little Monopoly guy, like in costumes, standing up, handing out um, like postcards for their film McMillions, but, and that, this is about the monopoly game. You know, that's what the um, film is about. And it's a fascinating film, totally recommend it. But their uh, little postcard was like one of those scratch off tickets that you would get on your cup. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just so creative, but it's to draw attention to your film and get people to come and see it. So yeah, um, you know, we did that same thing. We also uh, invited the French embassy official, Guillaume Lacroix. So they were able to talk about that. And that's going to be a big deal as well as Virginie Durr and Denis Grin- Grisot, who are from Normandy, and they're going to be there. So uh, it's really worked well for us. Yeah. Jason, you got a question?
2: Yeah. So um, we've had Jeff Kurtnacker on the show a couple times. Also, am I louder? Did it work? Did my yes. a little bit yes. louder? Okay. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Okay. Um so we've had Jeff Kurt Necker on the show. He's the composer for the Girl of War Freedom and just an all around very cool dude. I don't know, Christian, has he ever given you his flash drive that he hands out?
1: Yeah. So the very first time I took him to Sundance, I told him to think about this. I was like, you need to think about something that you can hand out to people. And uh, he showed up with this really, really cool uh, puck like thing uh, with his branding on it, which is also super cool. Uh, that had a um, flash drive with all of his music on it. Right, Jason?
2: Yeah, it's just a little flip out flash drive from a metal circular, like maybe the size of like a half half dollar coin or, or a silver dollar coin. And it just flips out. And you can plug it in and listen to any of his his tracks that he has selected on there. It is so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really is. And it grabbed a lot of people's attention. We started calling Jeff Kurtnacker LA Jeff during the Sundance because he had this hat with his branding on it. And he had his little, you know, puck with his. Uh, it was great. Yeah. Branding is really important, particularly at these festivals. Um, now, typically, it's because you really want to generate buzz. Buzz for the distributors and for, you know, the newspapers and stuff like that. And this week is the first time that I've sort of felt a lot of buzz around our film. Like people like, oh, you're the girl who wore freedom. Um, This week I did an interview for Real Magazine, which they have Real LA, Real Chicago, Real New York. Um, And that was set up by the GI Film Festival. Um, And... I did another radio interview um, this week, and then I've got one for WGN. So it's a lot of people seeking out information about this film. I had one filmmaker come up to me today and said, oh, my gosh, I was at the Buford Film Festival. I couldn't be there, but I watched the award ceremony live, and I heard all about your film, and I'm dying to see it. You know, it's sort of things like that. Word is getting out. And that is the whole point of your film festival run. David Patterson talked a lot about that how it's like this airplane taking off on the runway, and right before it, you know, lifts off, uh, should be sort of the pinnacle of where you are. And it's amazing because, like, we're right on track for that because we release in June. And I'm just starting to feel like things are heating up. Up. So, um, so it's been it's been awesome.
0: So what's what's next in terms of the film festival world? Uh, it sounds like you're coming to an end, but is that true? It's not true.
1: Um, so with this festival um, and this festival will be over by the time people are listening to this, unfortunately. But you know, Saturday we have uh, the the World War II encampment thing happening, and our screening is at four p.m. And then after that at 8 p.m. is our awards ceremony, which I'm really hoping for. Um, We are in competition with Bleeding Audio, Ocean Souls, um, In Case of Emergency, which is about nurses um, in the ER. And there's some, you know, about COVID in there. Um, And then uh, there's another one that I'm... I'm spacing out on, but I think there's like four or five nominees for the best documentary. So that's Saturday night. And then Sunday at 10 a.m. is our last screening here. However, today, which is April 23rd, we open at the Port Townsend Women in Film Festival. And that is a virtual film festival. And our next one after that is the GI Film Festival, which is also virtual. What's been amazing about that festival is that festival is sponsored by KPBS, which is in San Diego, and they have this huge um, arm of publicity. So they have so many people working on the publicity of the film festival itself, but that then extends to uh the filmmakers and we are nominated there as well for best documentary and what they did is they made sure that we had interviews like we have a, a WGN interview in Chicago and then this real uh magazine interview and I'm sure you know we did a, another on camera thing for their social media so um, that's going to be awesome. And then after that, we have the Nice Film Festival, which is in Nice, France, and I do think it's going to be virtual as well. But what I'm super excited about is uh, the Buford Film Festival has circled back around as we talked again a couple of weeks ago, and we're doing this D-Day screening in Buford. But I got a call yesterday and we heard that we are accepted into the Reedy Reels Film Festival in Greenville, South Carolina, and they wanted to do a D-Day screening. So it looks like on D-Day, I will be doing a D-Day screening um, at Reedy Reels Film Festival at like 10 a.m. Then I do a Q&A, get in the car and drive to Beaufort for an evening screening of the film. So uh, I'm super excited about that. And then there's talk about after that, going to uh, Delta in Atlanta and doing a screening there for Delta Airlines group and they're through their business, uh, their veterans resource, business resource group. So, uh, yeah, so we got a lot of fun things coming up.
0: So talk about the Delta Airlines thing. That that one threw me. What what exactly are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it's all still in talks, but um Virginie Durr is one of the top executives at Delta and she is a um a Normandy resident. So once again, this is another really important thing about branding. So we did start making lots of noise on social media and on LinkedIn about our film and she saw it on Facebook and then liked us on LinkedIn and just began following our journey. And before we ended up in Beaufort, she messaged me and said, we're going to be there. And I was like, "And, and I'm from Normandy. And so that connected us, and I began talking to her. And she came to see the film and has been so excited about it. She really wants Delta to be involved and maybe have Delta have the exclusive rights to airline, you know, viewings and stuff like that. And she's created these relationships and these opportunities for the film because she believes in it so much. So
0: it's pretty crazy. That's pretty cool. And that reminds me, there was a, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the company, but there's a company. There's a guy, you know, he's connected. To this-
1: Hammond, Michelin.
0: Yes. That sounds right. Because everything had to be put on hold because of COVID, basically.
1: Yeah. So we were in Greenville, South Carolina in um, March of 2020, right when it began. And that was our very last screening in March of 2020. And David Chapman, he's in our film. He then went to work at Michelin. And on his job interview, he talked about this film. All right. He uh, got hired. And then um, after he was hired, the person that hired him came back and said, tell me more about this film. We might really want to do something with this film. And that's how we ended up screening for the Veterans Business Resource Group at Michelin and then doing a big screening of our film. And interestingly enough, um, I connected David Chapman at Michelin with Virginie Durr because Virginie heads up the Michelin campaign or account at Delta. And of course she does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, and interestingly enough, Virginia's daughter lived in the same neighborhood as David Chapman. So uh, they have now met, and they're talking about doing a joint thing with Delta and with Michelin wow. uh, for this event. Uh, the other thing that's you know interesting is a friend of mine from high school who had been following our film on uh, Facebook. She works for L'Oreal and she introduced our film to the veterans business resource group at L'Oreal. And now they're talking to us about doing something in New York in November. So so um, how does
0: this, how does this work with your distribution deal? If, if L'Oreal comes to say, Hey, or let's say Delta, like, Hey, we want to put your film on our, our planes. Uh, How does the distribution deal come into play here?
1: Yeah. I've, I've learned a lot about the whole airline thing. Um, So our distributor, we retained theatrical rights because I knew there was no way that they were going to do anything theatrically with our film. So that gives us the ability to go anywhere and screen our film theatrically. And Um, and airlines
2: count as theatrical release, right?
1: I don't know that. I'm
2: I'm pretty sure they're part of the theatrical run. Really?
1: Well, why don't you Google that, Mr. Button Pushing Guy, and find out. (laughs) What I can tell you is what my distributor told me was that typically the distributor works with an aggregator. So there is a salesperson that works uh, to sell the film to all the airlines. And, you know, deals are worked out that way because I went to the distributor and I said, I have a personal contact at Delta. They want to have the film on their um, airlines, but they want an exclusive, right. And, uh, the distributor said, well, we've never dealt with an airline directly. I'd love to talk with them. So, um, you know, that's going to be pretty neat. We are connecting the distributor with the airline and we'll see what happens there. Um, cause that means that he can bypass that aggregate, you know, that aggregator selling person. So, um, So, yeah, I mean, the other thing the distributor is hoping is they will make DVDs, which then I will purchase for, you know, a little bit more than cost and then sell them at all of these theatrical screenings.
0: Very interesting. Um, Yeah. I tell uh, you, it makes, you know, I think something about your film, because I would describe it as an important film in terms of its content and the things that it's addressing. And then it's, it's well done. People, people enjoy the film, but because it's important, it moves people. It's like all these things that have nothing to do with the film industry are happening that are, are making people aware of the film, you know, these potential avenues to distribute the film and so forth. Um, because people were moved by the film, and it wasn't just for the sake of entertainment. You know, it wasn't just some stupid horror flick that has no redeeming value <laughs> except it's entertaining. Where you know this is what people would call important, and people want to get behind it. So there's there's something to be said for that, for sure.
1: Yeah, Jason, what were you going to say?
2: So I'm not able to find anything specifically about it being considered a theatrical run. I believe for WGA and WGA credits and royalties, I believe it's considered part of the theatrical run. But while I was Googling it, it suggested that I also look up, is Snakes on Plane true? So, <laughs> you know, we got that.
0: <laughs> Wait. I don't, now, I don't <laughs> think it is true,
1: right? Is that the answer?
0: <laughs> we, we have turned a corner. This podcast is now, we, we got to look more up about Snakes on a Plane. I've never seen this film. I, we, we should talk. spend some time talking yeah, about it. Yeah,
1: I film. would never see that film. It's too gross and scary for me. <laughs> not for me. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's interesting, Josh, you're right. Like people come up to me after every screening and say, how do I get a screening of this in my town? How can I get this uh, to my kid's school? Um, it is that kind of film. And I was having an interesting conversation. Sam King, one of our assistant editors is here with me this week and he was going to check out all of our competition. And so he would go to see the film and he would come back and give me a report. And so, for example, in case of emergency, he was like, this is a really, really great film. Technically, it's really great. Um, It is moving and emotional. They even have a Dubuque connection because one of the nurses in there is in Dubuque. Uh, He's like, this is going to be some tough competition. Um, and then he went and saw a few more and he said, what I think is different about your film is that it's really, uh, an emotional grabbing film. It's sort of like this emotional journey and you really engage, you know, engage the audience. And so when they walk out of the film, they're like, we give it a five, you know, it's just, you, we were able to capture that, you know, enthusiasm and emotion right at the end of the screening. And he said, it's an audience pleaser. And I think, you know, that is in your favor for, for these awards. So I thought that was an interesting take.
0: So, uh, you have a, you mentioned D-Day events coming up. Uh, I, I know you've got some stuff in the works. Can you give any insight to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh the one thing I would say is it, you know, it does look like we'll have a screening in Greenville, a screening in uh Beaufort, then we'll you know, looks possibly like we'll have one in Atlanta all during that D-Day week. And you know, I heard that France is just now thinking about opening up sort of in the summer. Uh and I really would like to go over there if at all possible. Um But we'll see. I mean, who knows what will happen with that. What I think is wonderful is that now people are wanting to celebrate D-Day here in the United States with some sort of event. So that uh, that makes me just really, really happy. Um, And another thing I want to tell filmmakers that are listening, whenever you do go to a film festival, Make sure that you know what your next project is, because if I've gotten it once, I've gotten it a million times. What are you working on now? What's your next project? And I hear other filmmakers, at, you know, answering that question, um, you know, and we all have things we're thinking about. So if you're thinking about it, that's your next project. And just make sure you're prepared to talk about that because you just never know who you're going to meet. Um I have have had a long conversation with uh, a filmmaker uh, and a producer who uh, did the movie, My My True Fairy Tale. And they're unbelievable. They've had an unbelievable success rate. They got distribution with Gravitas. They've already been released and, you know, they're doing really well. And You know, in doing that, we created this fun relationship where we both walked away and have gone like, we really want to work together. And that happens a lot. You know, you go to these film festivals to make relationships with other filmmakers. I've met a DP that I really want to look at his work. Um, I've met a sound guy I've been talking to. So it's just a great place to find other people that you want to collaborate with.
0: And then in terms of how, uh, you know, Maybe give us an update on how people can support the film if they can't come to the film festivals, you know, through donations and such.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that's really important if you want to support the film, tell people about it. You know, there is uh, the girl who warfreedom.com slash festivals has all of the festivals where we're coming up and people can watch it through those festivals. So tell people about the film and direct them to where they can see it. Uh, support us and share on all of our social media platforms so that other people hear about it. Uh, and we are still struggling for donations. Um, and you can make a donation at the girl And we're going to have some uh, exciting new D-Day released, uh, you know, logo stuff to celebrate the 77th anniversary of D-Day. So we can't wait to announce that. And this week, I finally finished the About Us video, thanks to Sam King, uh, for Patreon. So hopefully we'll be able to launch Patreon in in the next week. We keep saying that, but uh, these film festivals keep taking me away. So... (laughs) uh while we're here i want to check in real quick with the two of you uh jason is there anything you could tell us about with what's going on with your work
2: well actually first i was i was just thinking i i heard the other day um that you know when you finish a big project like like you've done you know you finished the girl who wore freedom and you get to a film festival and everyone's oh what's your next thing what's your next thing it's a bit like standing at the end of a marathon and going when's the next marathon what 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 you doing next <laughs> Which it is, really is. It's it's a little true. Because you, know, you kind of need a break. Um but that's a yeah. great analogy. So um uh Josh actually can can talk a little bit about uh he read our what we do in the shadows uh spec
0: script. Um and I think he hated it. Um <laughs> oh, but I'm I'm chomping at the bit. I can't wait to tell you what I think. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um So we're actually in the process now of trying to write a personal statement uh, about what makes us unique. And so that's something that a lot of fellowships for writers um, really request is that like, what makes you unique? Why should we pick you? What unique backstory, unique perspective will you bring to storytelling? And so we've been crafting that this week. We've been trying to figure out, okay, so what really, you know, because Sean and I are, are drastically different people. You know, he's half German, grew up traveling the world. I grew up in Chicago. And I've never lived anywhere else. And never so it's left just, your
1: basement. Pretty much, yeah.
2: <laughs> and so it's just—it's a—we just have a fascinating, you know, just in traveling, we have vastly different, you know, lifestyles and things like that. And so we're trying to figure out like what the best way in to say like, hey, we're a writing team, and we're insanely different, and we challenge each other to be different. And so we're, we're working on that. We have our script ready, um, and we're kind of we we were writing a Ted Lasso spec script. But they dropped the season two trailer and now we're like, oh, man, our spec script doesn't fit this at all. And so we know that, you know, when they release it, it's not going to fit. And so that that spec script will be very short lived in its usability, whereas what we do in the shadows is a little bit more kind of not not as serialized. Right. So so we're trying to consider, you know, do we even finish writing that or do we maybe go and try and write something else? Like we're, we're, we're
0: trying to figure out exactly what that process is.
2: So but is isn't
0: the point of a, a spec script just to show off your talents as a writer, not necessarily say this is the direction the show should go a bit. Yeah. So. So. And, and that depends
2: on who you're submitting to. So with um, Warner Brothers, they're the only one that I'm aware of where you have to submit a previously on page and you can actually set your spec script anywhere in the series. But almost every other one, it has to be the most recent season. Oh, and so it, it would work for Warner Brothers, but our story would be drastically different and not fit into season two or season three of Ted Lasso. So we're trying to figure out whether or not we actually want to go that way. Um, I'm actually reaching out to a couple of people and being like, um, "So what do you think? Should we finish it? Because we have like 20 pages, but like you know, do we do we even bother? Because <laughs> it's still it's not even a first draft. And so once you get a first draft, you got to do revisions and that sort of thing. And and um, so. Yeah, that's kind of where we are. It's like, we're not sure exactly what to do, but we have the what we do in the Shadow spec script. So we're good there.
0: So. Which, without spending a ton of time talking about that, because I would like to talk to you more about it on the side, but uh, number one, it made me laugh out loud, which if I'm reading something and I laugh out loud, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> two, it was obvious you knew the characters, so that was that was great. I could see them doing it. Um, my only comments were just, there were things that happened that I don't know would work on screen or not you know when someone gets hit by a car or someone they're spilling glue all <laughs> over their hands or whatever it is you know like uh you know well would that be funny visually would it work you know and and that's where my uh i'm limited in, in my knowledge of those types of things but uh, other than that like it, it's, just, it's just fun reading something about characters you're familiar with and say man he gets this you know so so i thought it was well done well thank you yeah.
1: and then what are you doing with this when you're done
2: so we're going to submit to the Warner Brothers uh, Television Writers Workshop, which is a really, really cool opportunity. Very, very exclusive. Thousands of people apply and they usually accept eight. So it's not a good shot that we'll get in. I think we might have a little better shot because we're a writing team and I think we count as one slot. So we might have a slightly better chance of like, hey, you get two for one. I don't know if that's actually how it works, but that's kind of what we're we're, we're thinking. So yeah, it's, um, it's a really unique opportunity. Um, you get to go and actually I would have to move out to LA for, um, at least half a year, um, to really, you have to be there once a week, every night for classes in the simulated writing room. And, and then at the end, they put you on a list and you get to talk with executives and they get to actually decide if they want to hire you and give your list out to the showrunners and, and you're on that list. Wow. So it's it's a really, really, really cool opportunity, incredibly rare to get in. And it's mostly like if we get in on our first year, I don't I don't know if anyone's ever gotten in on their first year. <laughs> so this will be our first year applying to it. Um, and well, I think I did, did talk about Sundance. We we submitted to Sundance Episodic Labs. We got rejected, um, which mm. totally understandable. I I don't think we're ready for it either. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was this week.
1: Well, that's exciting. It'll be fun to follow that journey. Um, and Josh, what's going on with the uh, Movie Proposal Podcast?
0: We just released an episode a week or so ago. Was that Godzilla versus Kong? Yep. So fun. I kind of loved it. Fun, <laughs> fun movie to talk about. Wait, what'd you, know, you say? It, it's a, it's, a, it's one of the first blockbusters of the year, you know. Um, but you you got to be a a fan of, of, uh, you know, monster films and things like that to, to care. <laughs> and, um, but we've, we've got, uh, we're, we're in the talks of having more guests on the, on the show and we already know our next film. It's the Bob Odenkirk, nobody. It's a, it's a family film of sorts. But um, if John Wick was the father and head of this household, <laughs> meaning it's a dad living in suburbia, and it's extraordinarily violent and looks fantastic, so we can't wait to watch it and discuss it. So,
2: <laughs> I, I've heard people call it uh, Bob Odenkirk as John Wick. Like yeah. that's that's pretty much just it. It's it's John Wick but Bob Odenkirk.
0: <laughs> there, there's a whole genre of these films where these you know middle aged men something happens, their daughter gets kidnapped, their dog gets shot, whatever. And they just go on a tear to get revenge, rescue someone, whatever it is. And, and I really think they, the same way Hunger Games tapped into the, like the teenage, you know, man, everyone's against me. Authority hates me. I got to fight against the man or whatever kind of vibe. They're tapping into the same kind of vibe. I think for, for men who are like, you know, live in suburbia, but sometimes you just want to take somebody out and <laughs> these films <laughs> put that on. You know, these these stories are on film; and you get to enjoy it without actually having to do it. So,
2: <laughs> remind me to stay on Josh's good side. <laughs> yeah, <No
1: kidding. laughs> uh, well, I just want to talk about what I think is coming up next week. Uh, I think we're going to spend a little time talking more to Michelle Coupe about. Uh, translation and transcription stuff, just a deeper dive into all of that. So I think she's going to be joining us next week. And then, you know, people can look out for the GI Film Festival that's coming up next. Uh, That film festival will be um, a very specific opening night. And I'm not sure what it is right now. It's on our website. Uh, But a specific opening night with a live Q&A afterwards. And then the film will be... um, we'll be screening uh, online for the next few days. So,
0: so yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, lots to look forward to um, exciting new possibilities in the future. So, and again, please support the film if you can. Uh, And uh, again, thank you for listening to our podcast where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Christian frozen. That Christian froze
2: up right at the end here. <laughs> I think we actually made it like really, really long until she froze up like right at the end. And then right now. So I thought
0: she was giving me this smug look of like, yeah, what are you doing, Josh? Yeah.
2: She started to talk and just <laughs> cut off. Hi, Christian.
1: Hi. I, I don't know what is going on with our podcast, but this is what Josh sound sounded like. Thank you,
0: me. I think I think it was just on your end because it didn't sound that way on your end, right, Jason?
2: No, yeah, Josh sounded fine, and then Christian froze. So yeah.
0: you, you froze yeah, on our
1: I'm end. I'm always the problem. All right,
2: yeah, just the wow. internet trying to cross the Mississippi.
1: Right. <laughs> All right. So did you say thanks for listening to our podcast or whatever you do to end things out?
0: Yeah, I did.
1: And so I'm supposed to say bye, everybody? Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. (laughs) All right. We're out. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at freedom.com. Please go to com slash donate to make a donation today.